Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tom's Hardware Show. It is July 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. So if you're if it's that time for you right now, then we are live, which means we're taking your comments and your questions. So if you have a comment or question for any of us today, please put it in the chat and we'll be getting to those by the end of our show. So we have a very exciting show today. So I want to get into it and introduce you to our guests. So first we have our Tom's Hardware Editor-in-Chief, Avram Pilch. Hello, Avram. Hey, glad, glad to be here and really excited to be on the first episode of the show where you are taking over as host. You're going to make the show 10 times more awesome. Yes, yes. I, I'm hoping at least 10 times. <laughs> at a minimum. So, uh, so, Avram, what have you been up to uh, these past, I guess, the past week since we last saw you? Uh, projects, 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 projects with uh, a lot of things uh, with the son, with my son and for, you know, Raspberry Pi stuff, which I know we talk about mainly on our Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern show, the PiCast. Uh, but I'm showing here one of the cases, Raspberry Pi cases that I've built because I'm testing them all out for a roundup on our site. And uh, this one is kind of cool. It is a... Um, going to break while I'm showing it to you, but it is a, um, an NES style case made out of, uh, Lego like blocks. They're not official Legos, but they're Lego compatible, uh, blocks, 307 pieces. Uh, you put it together and you, your Raspberry Pi is in here. Uh, and, and then you can use it to, uh, to play retro games. I mean, you don't need the case to play retro games. You don't need this piece on that just came off while I was showing to you, but uh, it's uh, but it makes it like a lot cooler. So as soon as I put this in, my son said, "You got to put, you got to, you got to put some emulators on here so it's running uh, RetroPie emulation." So have you played any games on it yet? Oh yes, he's played a few. We uh, he's played a few games that I won't won't. Uh, that I won't go into, but he's played some. He's played some Nintendo on here. Nice. I'll have to challenge him later. <laughs> so we also have today the king of chips, shall I say? But also our deputy managing editor at Tom's Hardware, Paul Alcorn. What's going Hello. on, Paul? Oh, nothing much. Just been busy uh, testing chips, as one would imagine. Um, you know, we have some. We have some pretty exciting stuff coming up. Uh, AMD made some recent, uh, had some recent releases that are OEM only that are not coming to the retail market, but that doesn't stop us. So we already have uh, Renoir in the lab and we're testing on that now. And uh, also we've been working on a big showdown between AMD's Epic processors and Intel's uh, Cascade Lake refresh. So you're into server stuff and big 64 core, well, 128 core systems with three terabytes of memory, then we got you because uh, we're doing a lot of testing on that. So uh, it's been pretty busy to say the least. Nice. So we'll have to stay tuned for that. Um, but in terms of what's going on right now, there's a lot been going on in Paul's CPU world for sure. Um, a lot of news around Intel, not great news, but news. Can you <laughs> catch us up on that a little bit, Paul? What's going on with Intel and when am I getting some seven nanometer chips? Well, you're going to have to wait till 2022, the end of 2022 or the beginning of 2023 in order to get seven nanometer, which by Intel's timeline means probably the middle of 2023 because they, they never, you know, they're, they're getting a, a reputation of not hitting their timelines and 
Um, so 2023 would probably be the earliest that we're going to see any Intel 7 nanometer. Now that's a uh, that's six months behind their original projections, but it, it, it's actually pretty devastating to their entire roadmap. Now, in, Intel does have some options on things that they can do in order to remain competitive. And of course, the biggest option and the one that has sent shockwaves through the, the chip world this week is they announced that they're going to use outside foundries. So they're actually gonna have somebody else punch out some Intel chips for them, possibly. Um, it's kind of akin to, it's kind of like if Ford said, well, we're going to have Chevy make our pickup trucks. It's uh, pretty shocking that Intel is, is resorting to that. So is that the first time um, Intel has ever done that? Okay, so no. Intel has a lot of scale. Intel punches out nearly 1 million chips per day. Um, you know, compared to somebody like AMD, it, 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 their output in, a, in three months is about what Intel does in a day. So with Intel scale and the number of chips that they make, they've had to outsource for a long time. As a matter of fact, they've been outsourcing for over 20 years and they outsource roughly 20% of their production. Now we've covered this and, and had talks with Intel about this in the past when they uh, you know, went back to 22 nanometer from 14 and have done some different things. So they've confirmed that. Now the difference is, is in the past Intel has only had um, outside chip fabs, primarily TSMC, only make small chips like um, chipsets and low margin things that don't that aren't necessarily into compute. They're they're protected IP, their core series, their CPUs. They've never had anybody make those. They keep those to themselves because it's high margin. It's very complex. There's a lot of proprietary IP that you know they don't want anybody to know their secrets. So them um, making a change to where they're actually there is the possibility that TSMC could fabricate their their chips is that's a huge change. And um, Intel hasn't announced exactly which products they're going to have aside from one uh, made by an outside vendor. Uh, one of them is Ponte Vecchio, which is which I can never say correctly, but um, it's their first GPU. So they're going to have uh, an outside vendor use seven nanometer. It has to be TSMC. There's no other option uh, to make portions of that. Now it's a chiplet based device. So they got a bunch of little like Lego blocks that they plug in together to make this big, you know, this big fire breathing GPU. So some of those chiplets, they will have to um, outsource and they have announced that. So, you know, that, that's not good news for Intel. Yeah, so Avon, we've talked about this before, the need for uh, Intel and vendors also like AMD CPU vendors to be innovating and coming out with new products yearly or else basically the PC industry gets stagnant and we don't see new releases and things like that. So just curious, how do you see this affecting the greater PC industry in general? Hmm, yeah, I mean, I, I do have to wonder uh, if there's, if they're going to be doing, you know, what, obviously I think they're going to have to uh, release things in the, or do some releases in the, in the interim to try to give uh, PC vendors a launch pad to come out with new products. It's also another opportunity for AMD, right? AMD now maybe companies will be more inspired to come out with product that features AMD chips and AMD will, will launch, you know, and they'll launch along with what AMD is doing. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, Intel is going to have to do something. Uh, it just isn't going to be something that's seven nanometers. Yeah, when you look at um, Intel's track record with 10 nanometer, they were on 10 nanometer five, seven years. I'm losing count. Or, or excuse me, they were on 14 nanometer for that long. Um, so, you know, I'm losing count of how long they they went, you know, to 10. It took them to get to 10. And they're really not even entirely there yet. And that kind of shook the, you know, the industry's um, faith in Intel. You know, you look at Apple switched away from Intel. And this is before they messed up seven nanometer. And, and there's a lot of other developments beyond just Apple, where over the years, people have lost a lot of confidence in Intel's ability to execute. And being late on seven nanometer, um, from that perspective, is nothing short of disastrous for Intel. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat it. In the eyes of OEMs who demand consistent, a consistent cadence of products that are competitive and that they can build designs around, I mean, they're investing money in these designs. So when they're late, it costs them money. Um, this second series of what will probably be a long string of delays is, uh, you know, it, it's very, very detrimental to Intel. It's probably hard to put into words how bad it's going to hurt them in, in terms of other people considering AMD. Now, AMD, historically, has had a bit of a bad reputation for being a, a poor supplier, um, especially in the pre-Zen days. Um, you know, they weren't on schedule either. Now, ever since Ryzen has, has come, AMD's big message has been boring execution. They want to execute on each new step down to smaller chips or more advanced nodes and architectures and release new chips on such a steady cadence with so little drama that they call it boring, boring execution. And they've delivered on that. And um, the, the tides have shifted. So confidence in AMD is running very high. I mean, they are firing on all cylinders. They have yet to, to mess up. And Good so, times for AMD, no doubt about it. Well, so is there also, um, Paul? There's uh, there's an investigation going on with this, right? A securities fraud investigation. Is that correct? Correct. So now it's an it's a so a law firm. As a matter of fact, now there are several. We wrote an article about the first one, but I've been reading reports of other ones uh, over the last few days. We're we're going to need to do a roundup at the rate that they're. <laughs> Best fraud there, was, there was one lady who spent $300,000 in stock, in Intel stock, the day before it dropped 16%. And she's suing and starting a class action lawsuit through another law firm. But the primary law firm, the first one that got involved, is also um, asking for whistleblowers to come forward for uh, SEC violations for fraud. Because if Intel knew about the 7 nanometer um, problems uh, months ago and did not let their investors know that can be a real problem. I mean, that's, it's fraudulent because Intel stock lost 16% of its value overnight. And it's probably down now closer to 18 to 19%. We're talking billions of dollars. They shed $53 billion worth of value in about 12 hours. That's almost the size of AMD is how much money they lost. So well, Abram, if you are in charge of Intel, do you have any any tips for how they'd get out of this? What would you yeah. do? Uh, heads would roll. <laughs> heads, 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 heads would roll. I would, I would figure out who's responsible, and uh, I would, I would make a change. I would make a change of leadership. I would remove them from the socket. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I would, I would take the thermal paste off, remove them from the socket, and find and, and find an upgrade. 
because obviously the pro obviously there's a lot of problems here but the other thing that i would do i would under promise i would under promise i would try to set up a i would make sure that there's a roadmap of kind of under under promising right like like hey maybe you're maybe maybe i'm going to tell you seven nanometers is going to come out a little later than it is i'm going to make sure that i i don't promise something that i can't deliver on it's like when you tell you tell the kids it's going to be a small holiday this year, but then you get them the bike anyway. <laughs> so Intel did take some pretty swift action in in order to uh, calm down the investors, and they got rid of Murthy uh, Rindon Chintala. Uh, his last name is a, a mouthful. Now they brought him in and paid him big money. They paid him an eight point one million dollar signing bonus five years ago, which is unheard of in the chip industry, and. Um, I mean, a signing bonus like that. But anyway, they brought him in to lead their manufacturing efforts when they were having problems with 10 nanometers. It was his job to fix it. That was his remit. Now, he eventually assumed a lot of control of a lot of different um, parts of Intel, and they rolled five different divisions in underneath them, all of their manufacturing and technology and design and architectures and everything, and they created this super group. Uh, so Bob Swan, of course, somebody had to pay. Uh, Murthy was the one he got fired and they disbanded that group essentially and now all of those groups um, They report directly in into Bob Swan. So uh, yeah, they're restructuring the whole company as a response to this and to the amount of value that they've lost Now, you know, like Abram says that's kind of like taking the CPU out of the socket But I think the pins are bent in the socket. I think the socket is broken I think that I think that the fix for this is gonna take a lot more than that you know, there's a lot of people um, questioning the decisions of putting a CFO in front of, you know, as the head of one of the most technologically advanced companies on the planet, you know, not having an engineer in there. So I think that they have some institutional problems that aren't yet fully addressed. We'll see. Okay. I want to bring up our first question because it actually ties nicely into our next topic, which is, what do you guys think AMD needs to do to capitalize on Intel's missteps? Well, from my perspective, it's simple. Execute, execute, execute. Don't miss a beat. It really doesn't matter right now. People want predictability. That's where the money's at. And they need to continue to work um, on making money, in, in, of course, in the data center. And they need to expand their penetration into OEM systems. So when you look at and, and this explains why they didn't release Renoir and Threadripper Pro into the retail market is because the OEMs, you know, when people go to a big box store and they just buy a pre-built PC, that's 60% of the market, right? Um, they've been missing out on that part of the market. Intel has owned it because AMD hasn't really penetrated that segment as well. Now they're starting to, to I mean, they're making massive gains in the enthusiast market, but that's not the bulk of the market. So they're releasing in a very smart move they're releasing uh, chips only for the OEM market that are compelling, right? Maybe even arguably better than some of the things that are available to people, um, you know, as standalone products. And that's creating some incentive. I think if that they can improve that, um, they'll be good and just keep executing. Design wins. They yeah. need design. They need design wins. Need design wins. But it's never been clear to me why. They are in fewer designs. I mean, 
well, I think there's a few reasons why, right? I, I don't think that there's one. So like, is the reason that they're, I mean, if you go and you look for a laptop today, whether it's a gaming laptop or an Ultrabook, uh, although Ultrabook's technically an Intel word, but a portable laptop, uh, you you go and you look around and 90% of them are Intel powered. And when we talk to, when we talk to laptop vendors, a lot of them were very gun shy about using AMD. And we think, I tend to think part of it is that they, were, they don't want to damage the relationship with Intel. Uh, and, and that's a little bit disturbing. Uh, and part of it has been, you know, AMD has been somewhat, has had a somewhat lesser reputation on mobile in terms of power consumption, but that's gotten a lot better. Um, and the real question is what can AMD do to convince companies to come out with some real flagship designs that have AMD in them, not just cheap stuff or a way of shaving a, a little bit off of the price of a gaming laptop. Like we've seen gaming laptops where, oh, to shave a little bit off the price, they went with AMD instead of Intel, but they give you a crappy screen um, and a crappy keyboard or something like that. They don't give you top of the line. I would like to see AMD do something to 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 kind of twist the arm of of a vendor like an Alienware or or you know Asus. I mean, Asus has actually used a bunch of of AMD stuff, like in the Zephyrus, which we really like. But like, how about getting into like their top 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 performers? Um, how about so? I, I'd like to see AMD um, really going after going after that business. I don't know whether. The problem is the vendors don't want it. AMD's not giving them a good enough deal, or they can't. They just can't deliver enough volume. Um, I agree on those points, and I, I think there there are a few others, and they mostly have to deal with money. Um, to be honest, um, you know, AMD doesn't have AMD is a much smaller company than Intel. I mean, the scale is way different. I mean, it is very much smaller. So they don't have the engineering resources that Intel does, not even, not by a long shot, probably a tenth if they're lucky. So when, you know, Intel works with OEMs and stuff to create these systems, there's a lot of hand-holding and direct uh, help to those companies on the engineering side. They're investing a lot of money into making these designs and they need to be optimized uh, heavily in order for them to compete against their competitors. So Intel is there for that type of technical support. With AMD, um, that has been a bit of a slow haul. Um, you hear that a lot from various people is that their technical support isn't quite, it isn't near where Intel's is. Now that's improving as Intel or AMD, excuse me, grows in scale. Another part of it is the MDF, which is uh, Intel's manufacturing fund. Now, a lot of people call it a slush fund, but uh, it's a multi-billion dollar fund where Intel spends money on um, advertising for advertising its partners products. So, you know, let's just say, for instance, X company, we, we won't call anybody out here, but I mean, almost all of them use some form of MDF. If X company creates a laptop, well, Intel will pay a certain percentage of their um, advertising for their product based upon certain deliverables. And yeah, who knows? The, the details of these agreements aren't necessarily public, but we do know it exists and it is real. So, you know, there there is a financial reason for them continuing to stick with Intel, and of course, again, predictability, they're investing money 
AMD hasn't been predictable, but it's a whole different ballgame now. I mean, it. I mean, the AMD still may not be able to compete on the MDF side of things yet, but you know, in time that will happen. But um, on the engineering side and the execution side, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about a a little bit more about AMD because they just shared their their Q2 earnings report, and the numbers are kind of kind of wild, right? So some of the things that stand out. There are record laptop sales, highest consumer, uh, or record revenue, record laptop sales, highest consumer CPU sales in 12 years. Um, so what's the biggest takeaway from that? AMD is, AMD is doing well in, in most of the segments that matter, especially as we're coming out of COVID. A lot of companies, almost everybody's seeing some type of disruption. They're navigating that well. Um, you know, record revenue, they're making money hand over fist right now. Um, and they're selling a lot more chips now. They did sell the highest number of client chips in 12 years, but there's a caveat to that. Their Ryzen sales were down, but their notebook sales were through the, through the roof. And that's where they need to grow because that's, like I said, that's the big segment. Um, you I know, have a question about that. Is it the number is actually big or is their growth big? Uh, the number is actually big. Okay. I mean, and it's growth. You know, they look at year over year, quarter over quarter. I mean, they're steadily gaining share there. And it's an extremely important um, part of the market. Now, um, Intel, so AMD doesn't say how much they lost in rising sales, or, or not necessarily lost, but how much it was down over the prior quarter. But um, I will tell you this, Intel buried in the their financial stuff, their uh, desktop PC sales for chips, uh, desktop PC chips were down 15% last quarter, which is huge. Uh, and AMD is, is kind of went unnoticed in all of the, I didn't even notice until like two days later, um, in all of the hubbub around the seven nanometer, nobody noticed a, Intel's desktop PC uh, chip sales have, have plummeted, are plummeting. I mean, down 15% in a quarter is big. So, I mean, AMD is definitely taking share, but you know, AMD is, doing well and everything that they do right now mostly so we have another question oh i guess that's not a question huh sorry <laughs> we do actually have another question um sorry i'm trying to bring it up it's about um arm chips and um here we go x86 versus arm is x86 really losing shouldn't the devil know Yes, the devil should know. He's the devil. The name, of the, the, name of, the, of the viewer is devil. I mean, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think x86 is losing, period. Uh, so, because Apple switched to ARM, Apple likes to control their ecosystem. Apple wants more profit. Apple wants to, to maintain their walled garden. Uh, Apple has always been about closed a closed ecosystem. Intel and AMD are and x86 is a broad ecosystem that uh, that Apple that goes beyond Apple. Granted, ARM is 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 goes beyond Apple, but uh, Apple's going to make their Apple makes their own chips. So yeah, this is this is about money for them. Their stuff. I think they're going to have a problem scaling up to the speeds that people want on a, on a MacBook Pro to do serious work. Uh, good luck to them. I mean, it could happen. 
but ARM is ARM is better at low power and is not not quite as good at, at scaling up to what to what people need. And then you've got to wonder about the software, uh, the best software working on ARM. So I really don't think that x86 is losing. I think Apple has made a decision. And I think what we saw in the marketplace over the last several years is that x86 and ARM have to coexist. You will not see uh, x86 in a phone or a tablet. I mean, we did see it in, in some tablets, but we saw it didn't work out. Uh, we wish we did. Well. I mean, I guess that the surface counts, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like there, there was a time, my wife still has one, when you could get like an eight inch Windows tablet with a, a with an Atom processor in it. And we don't see that anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you take a look at x86 first on, first thing that you have to do is you, you have to separate it into, like you pointed out, mobile and take that off the table. And then, you know, when you look at the desktop side of things, the problem is, is application support. It's gonna be years before um, we get all, you know, they get all of that sorted out on, on ARM. And then, you know, when you look at the data center, that's a whole other ball of wax, too. You see impressive benchmarks and stuff like that. But when you start looking, it's media state, you know. When you start looking into the actual performance metrics and how they're measuring them, it's very lopsided competition. And when it comes to cost, there's a huge difference. I mean, it really depends upon which segment you're, you're, you're talking about with, you know, a data center, they're like 0.03 per, or 0.3% of the data center uh, market, you know, for servers that it's a long, hard slog. You want three to five years at, at the least before, uh, and everybody that's developing chips in that segment are kind of doing the same thing. Uh, like Abram, like Apple there, it's a walled garden. They're developing their own proprietary chips. They want to keep it locked down. So that immediately limits penetration. Then on the desktop side, like desktop PCs, I don't see anybody rocking it. Uh, ARM desktop PC. I mean, maybe on the Apple side here shortly. Um, I'm really curious how they're going to replace the young for the arm. Um, that, that will be interesting. Not saying it can't be done, but it's that's a long, hard slog. Um, you know, Apple gives the, the effort a little bit of momentum, but I will say I've been hearing arm is going to take over for 10 years. Windows every year, it's time it's different. Every time, every single year, this time it's different. This time it's different. This time it's different. I've yet to see it be different, you know? I mean, materially different. It. I mean, not to. There, there are advantages to ARM, absolutely. But the big problem is software. Windows on ARM is garbage. Windows on ARM is terrible. Uh, we uh, we've had. I think we recently had Andrew on this show where he was showing off. Um, he was showing off. Was it the Lenovo Flex 5G that has Windows on ARM on it and. It's like what is it like the third or fourth generation of Windows on ARM laptop that uses uses Qualcomm chips? Like half the stuff doesn't run. Things run through emulation and they're slow. There's not a lot. There's a lot of stuff that hasn't been ported to work on ARM yet. What and then on top of all that, to add insult to injury, it's more expensive than buying one with x86. So you're not. You're having like you know a process the kind of performance you get from a five hundred dollar phone and a fourteen hundred dollar laptop. Uh, so, yeah, Windows on ARM is is garbage, and that doesn't really to me bode well for for ARM on the desktop. I'd like to you know just as a general observation, you know sometimes when you want to determine if something's really a threat, what you should do is look at the competing companies and what they're doing. Now AMD and ARM have a massive, or excuse me, 
AMD and Intel um, have the biggest ban hammer in the world right now uh, for x86 emulation. They can lodge some pretty convincing lawsuits uh, because when they're, you know, they're emulating it, they are using x86. Um, you know, they, it, it would cost a lot of money um, in order for them to sue these massive companies like Qualcomm, Apple, you know, et cetera. Um, and, and it'll be a, a long court fight. And they have decided that, uh, apparently, that it's not enough of a threat for them to actually spend that money yet. I, you know, they're not that concerned. Intel issued a, you know, two year when Qualcomm did its simulation thing, issued a sternly worded, uh, you know, letter about a letter to the public, you know, basically threatening legal action. There's no other way to read it, but it apparently isn't enough of a threat for them to do it. But their their legal team are the ones who wrote that. They know they have a case. So I think when you know that ARM is real. Uh, in terms of, uh, especially in terms of emulation, is when you see them start getting sued by the, the people who hold the x86 patents or licenses. Excuse me. And when when they feel scared, then maybe, you know, it's something. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for sending in questions. Please keep the questions coming. Um, I want to share with you guys a little surprise that I promised you because I do not lie. So, uh, you know, send in your questions. In the meantime, I'll be getting this little surprise ready for you guys, which is da da da, Razer's new headset. Let me make this a little more visible for you all. This is Razer's new headset announced today. It is the Black Shark V2. And if you want to see our in-depth coverage of it, you can head to tomshardware.com right now. And the review is right up there on the top. Um, so this is um, interesting in that Razer's been doing this a lot lately. They've been kind of not just putting out new products, but putting out new tech with it as well. So um, a couple of weeks ago, they released a new keyboard with upgraded optical switches. So here they're trying something new again. They're introducing new drivers called Triforce Titanium Drivers. I feel like you need a strong voice when you say that. Um, and basically it, <laughs> it uh, tunes the low, mid and high frequencies in different ports, whereas other um, drivers do it all within the same area. So it's supposed to, you know, have clearer voices, more crisp troubles, more powerful beasts, things like that. And obviously things I cannot demonstrate to you on a video, but what I can do is demonstrate the mic that they also just introduced. It's a cardio cardioid mic that they're dubbing uh, Hyperclear. This is their first headset to use it. So what I thought I'd do while we uh, wait for more questions to come in is I've been actually using Razer's one of their USB mics, the Sirene X, I think, because they have the long E sound, the, the you know, the line over the vowels. I guess it's Sirene X. So I'm going to switch from this USB mic to the headset mic, and you guys tell me if my voice is still um, great to listen to or if you hate it or what. In the meantime, guys, don't forget to send in your questions because we're going to get to those right after this. So oh, here's a question. Is the mic detachable? Um, yes, it is. <laughs> that was an easy one. Keep them coming. So in the meantime, um, yeah, so I'm going to switch this up and you guys tell me how it sounds. All right. Can you guys hear me? Yep. 
Better do I sound? Better, worse? Mm, to me, not as good. Not as good? What do you think, Paul? Do you like my voice? Uh, not as good. And your other mic, when you held it to the side, your voice level went down quite a bit. So it's not omnidirectional. But you, yeah, the other one's better. All Sorry, right, well. Sorry, Razor. <laughs> your posters are better. All right, go for the coaster. I, I hate to say it, and maybe it's just how it's hooked up, but it's probably how it is. It, it sounds sort of like when you hear somebody reporting about traffic from a helicopter. And we also have Jared voting worse. Well, to be fair, you know, uh, this is a USB mic. It's, you know, geared exactly for things like this. Um, but yeah, if you want to hear more about the actual audio quality, the, the review is there. But these are actually the same price. This is $100. Uh, the USB mic is also $100 right now. And we got another vote from John Reed. My voice is not as good. I'm sorry, guys. I hope you still like the sound of it, though, a little bit. Um, well, let's but give look. him the benefit of the doubt and say maybe it's a driver issue. <laughs> it's, it's not your voice. It's the... It's the <laughs> the one thing I will say is I did a recording um, with... Uh, the mic and then also this, and it did block out background noise a little bit better. I had some TV going on and it did not pick up the background noise. So that is one plus. Um, so thank you guys. Now I know I'll, I'll rely on the USB mic going forward. Else we'll lose all our listeners. <laughs> so we have some questions coming in. Um, first from John Miller, when can we expect Zen 3 desktop processors? Sounds like something Paul would know. Um. AMD has been cagey. They've been saying Zen 3 is coming out uh, this year. They've been saying it all year, but they didn't say what or where. They didn't say if it was, we already knew the server products were on the roadmap of Zen 3, but about two weeks ago, we actually broke the story that they said the word client. So in the land of microprocessors, client is uh, the consumer business. You have client and you have server. So they say client, which means there are Zen 3 chips coming to the consumer market. Now, whether or not those Zen 3 chips are going to be in laptops or they're going to be on the desktop is the question. And, um, you know, how much volume they're going to have this year, if it's going to be on shelves, we're going to have a paper launch, you know, does it come the last day of the year, kind of like Intel trying to meet its uh, timeline? We're, we're not sure yet. Um, it could go either way. It could be laptop or it could be, uh, or, or it could be desktop. I think desktop. I hope. I mean, it's pretty exciting. So you have work to do, right? <laughs> I don't think that was to that part, but yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the people reading about it on our site. But uh, I, my guess is going to be later than sooner. I guess is maybe you see limited release toward the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would, I'm thinking the same. You know, it's, it's strange that they're, they're, uh, you know, the APUs, it's not strange. There's a lot of reasons why, but they didn't release the desktop APUs. Uh, to the, to the market, they have been promising to have one um, coming though, but they're not saying they, okay, when they released it to OEM, they told us, uh, you know, it's only going to OEM, but tell your readers, don't be like, or tell people, you know, don't worry, we've got something coming, a next gen APU coming to the retail market. And they say next gen APU, but they don't say what, like, they're not saying it's Renoir, they're saying next gen. So I think they might sneak out a, an APU because when you look at APU, they kill two birds with one stone. That's uh, that same die and design is used for both laptop and desktop. So you may get both. That's my prediction. And so we have another question from Benjamin. And 
it's, will risk risk V? Is that how people normally say that? I'm a writer, and I shouldn't be allowed. Yes, to speak. it is. It is risk v here. <laughs> so will risk V com compete with ARM and x86? Any thoughts there? Um, yes, especially with ARM being up for sale. Um, you know, RISC-V is open source, open source everything is, is wonderful. It's a new paradigm. Um, ARM charges licensing fees. Now there have been reports over the last about, um, about a month that ARM has quadrupled the licensing um, for a lot of their key uh, licensees. And some of them leaked that information to the media because they are not happy. Um, and, you know, that that's not good. Now ARM, is up for sale. SoftBank people who own them are selling them. It looks like NVIDIA, it, well, NVIDIA is interested according to reports. It makes a lot of sense for NVIDIA to be interested too. So, you know, if NVIDIA buys ARM, I mean, what are people going to think? I and, mean, you know, the people who build ARM chips, that's a threat to ARM. And then in addition, you have another problem with ARM. They're having a lot of problems over in China. They started a China office. They created an ARM China. And like it's been in the, the news for the last week or two, there's basically a defection going on over there. And they're kind of doing their own thing over there in Arm China against the wishes of the parent company. I mean, if you send your tech over to China, we are, that usually doesn't turn out well. So there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of disruption in the, in the arm space. There's a, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of risks. And people who you know count their money in bees for billions don't like that. I think we will see more traction with risk over the coming years, yes. Until it appears on a Raspberry Pi, I don't take it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> it's pie or nothing. So we have another question from a Brad, a single Brad. Which upcoming Intel server products are comparable to AMD Epic Rome and Epic Milan? And how is Intel still able to maintain near monopoly on the server market? Okay. So this is not an easy question to answer. We don't know what's going to be competitive with uh, Epic Rome um, because, you know, Intel's chips that it has on the market right now are not competitive against Epic Rome in a lot of things. I mean, they do have a few areas where they're good, but they're limited where they're better, but um, and, you know, when it comes to Milan, it's just going to depend upon how fast it is. I think it's going to be really good. And then Intel is going to be fighting them with a 10 nanometer ice lake, which comes this year. As a matter of fact, that's why I'm trying to get this Cascade Lake refresh and uh, Epic Rome testing done. The high frequency models uh, is because I know uh, ice lake's coming this year. You know, ice lake's going to bring some important things uh, like PCIe 4.0. That really hurts Intel in the data center not having it. So that, that's good for them. Um, how is Intel able to maintain near monopoly? So people always say, people always consider the price of the chips and they say, man, you know, AMD's chips are a lot cheaper than Intel's. And, you know, that's why aren't they just buying them? Well, when you look at the cost of software for these big hyperscalers and data centers, you know, some of these data centers are 11 acres square and they have over a million servers. The scale there, the price of the server chips means nothing to them. When they create their code, they have to, they optimize it for the chip and the architecture that it runs on. And it takes like a year to get it validated. It goes through all of these validations, whatever they deploy into this massive fire breathing data center is generating trillions in revenue. They want to make sure it is as bulletproof as humanly possible. And that costs a lot of money. And they don't do that if it's only going to work for one generation of chips. So if they think Intel suddenly going to become better than AMD the next time, they don't want to change all their code because that's really a one-time expense. 
they, they design it for AMD and bam, each time AMD releases new chips, that code still works, bam, 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 right? Now, if the market goes through AMD is good now, and then, in, you know, and they switch all their code over to spend all that money and spend all that time, and then AM, Intel's better, well, look, see, they buy roadmaps. They want to have confidence in AMD holding the lead. Nobody has had confidence until approximately last week when Bob Swan said seven nanometer was delayed. So I think that Intel is going to hold that advantage for quite some time or not quite some time. They've held that advantage for quite some time. And I don't think that advantage is there anymore. People are going to start investing in AMD. The tides are going to change. This That's is great. We're getting a lot of questions and I'm very happy about that. So we have another one from Thomas Pop. Could Milan, that's again, AMD Epic, can Milan be five times super scalar? Um, I don't know. There, a lot of the exists. that's a big jump. Um, I, I don't want to make many predictions. Now, if you look on our website, there was this video that was posted uh, where they weren't supposed to post it. And it showed some details of Milan and we caught it before they took the, the video down. Nobody else did, hallelujah. Anyway, if you Google it, you can find it. But um, we're looking at the main change being they're unifying the L3 cache um, in, in the CCXs. And, you know, instead of basically having two four-core clusters, you got one eight-core monolithic with the shared L3. That's going to give them a lot of benefits. Uh, that's about all we know. I, you know, I don't, I, I can't make that prediction beyond that. Because you know we have you on video, and when you're wrong, I'm going to pull yeah, this video I mean, up, right? Yeah, yeah, I hate being wrong. <laughs> well, great. Um, well, before we wrap up, I want to give a shout-out to NVIDIA Quadro, because they wanted one. So, well, if you're still here, NVIDIA Quadro, thank you for tuning in. Um, so, we're about at the end of the show. Does anyone have any final words? Paul Avram, any other insights to share? I'm just Stay really excited. Tuned. Just stay tuned. Uh, I'm very excited, uh, not only for what's going on with AMD and Intel, but what's going on in this show uh, now that Sharon now that Sharon is taking the reins. She's already doing a fantastic job. This is already like probably the best episode that we've had, especially in terms of participation. So I'm very excited. Awesome. Well, yeah, as Avram said, we'll, we'll be here next week again, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. And if you can't join us at that time, you know, we have our replays on YouTube, Facebook, and audio format. We're a podcast, too. So you can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast on. So thank you guys all for joining us. We'll be here again next Thursday, and it's great chatting.